Good morning. There are all kinds of situations in the life of the church where we balance the value of our relationships with rules and traditions we have. All of them exist for good reasons. Jenna and I are aware week in and week out that we come into church and there are pastoral concerns that uh, some of you are aware of. Just yesterday we announced the death of two members of our community, Audrey Kors and Jack Platner, and we will pray for them as part of our prayer concerns this morning. We always struggle, though, with how much of a part of our worship time those announcements become. You see, it is our tradition to announce them at the beginning of the prayers the way that we do with everyone, because we believe that in God's eyes, every person who passes through the life of this conversation, this congregation is of equal value in the eyes of God. So you see, we always have these rubs between traditions and the desires of relationships that we see when we look out upon the congregation each Sunday. This morning I want to tell you about a situation like that, a real situation that our church faces on a regular basis, one that involves relationships and that involves rules. And I hope that you'll be thinking about it and other situations like it as I preach the sermon. On a regular basis, which is to say at least half a dozen times a year, someone who is not a member of our church calls seeking baptism for themselves or often for a child. We inform them that we would be happy to welcome them, and we explain that our church understands baptism as a covenant between God and the person to be baptized and our community of faith. And therefore, there is a membership requirement for baptism. It's intended to demonstrate a level of commitment that we hope will be made between the church and the baptized person and the community. We then give them information about our next Inquirer series for membership. Some of them sign up. There are others we will never hear from again. As a Presbyterian minister, I fully understand and agree with this rule. I also wonder more and more with each passing year if that reasoning means anything to people outside our community, the people coming and making the requests. Is it just another evidence of the church seeming to be more and more exclusive, legalistic, and irrelevant? Or is it a good rule? As you listen to this morning's sermon, I hope that you will consider what you think of these kinds of situations. Let us pray together. O God, startle us with your truth and open our minds with your love. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This week's scripture is the story of a chance meeting in the middle of nowhere. 
a meeting that changes a person's life. It's the story of the Apostle Philip and an unnamed Ethiopian eunuch. These two characters are as different as can be in their backgrounds, and the intention of that is to show us that God means to cross every boundary, cultural, political, religious, personal. God crosses every boundary in order to know us and to love us. The story comes from the book of Acts. The book tells the story of the early church and the initial spread of Christianity after the life of Jesus. In this book, there is a time at which the followers of Jesus have exhausted their efforts among the Jewish community. And so they take the movement to the world beyond. Geographically, they are headed further away than Jerusalem and Galilee, Religiously, they will meet people who do not know the Hebrew scriptures, people who do not know their stories or share their traditions. This story comes from that season in the life of the church. I imagine that sounds like a bunch of ancient history, doesn't it? But it has to do with us in at least two ways. For one thing... The church of today is going through a similar transition. There are more and more people in our culture these days who do not know the basic stories of the Bible, for they did not grow up in church. Most churches like ours are shrinking. Many are dying. Ones like ours that remain include increasing numbers of people who are new to our traditions. And beyond the walls of our church, we all have more and more friends and neighbors who are not involved in church at all. Like the Jesus followers in Acts, we must t think about reaching people in different ways than we tried in the past. It is our calling as Christians today, just as it was then. The second way that this story has to do with us comes more on a personal level, for in this story we are introduced to a character who is intentionally portrayed as an outsider. And all of us know what it's like at times to feel like an outsider or to know that we have treated someone else as such. So this man is an outsider, and he is well-positioned to be asking a question plenty of us ask in spiritual matters, as well as many others. The Ethiopian in this story wants to know if he fits in, if he belongs. He wants to know if God and the church will accept him. I'm not sure why he isn't given a name, perhaps just to bring home the point even more that he is an outsider. But the Ethiopian eunuch is a fascinating character in the Bible. By stating that he is Ethiopian, we know he is considered to be different. Ethiopian was the adjective used to describe anyone who would have come from the kingdoms south of Egypt where people had darker skin. We know right away this man would have stood out. 
The story mentions no fewer than six times that this Ethiopian man is a eunuch. In the context of Judaism, this would have made him ritually unclean, according to Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1. He would not have been admitted to the Jerusalem temple. Beyond the bounds of religion, the repeated acknowledgement that he is a eunuch is certainly meant to convey that his sexual identity made him different from everyone else. This man is an outsider. He knows what it is like to not fit in. Beyond these two characteristics in his name that make him different, an even more complicated picture emerges. He is not only different in ways that might have been disadvantages, he is also different because of his privileges. The story calls him a court official to Queen Candace and says he is riding in a chariot. Furthermore, he is reading, and because he is reading in his chariot, he had enough wealth to have his own hand-copied version of the writings of the prophet Isaiah. Clearly, this man is fantastically wealthy in a context where an extremely small portion of the population had any wealth at all. All of this seems to beg the question, what is this man doing here? And the story answers that question directly by providing us with this detail. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. For reasons that are not given, this unlikely character from Ethiopia has been to the Jerusalem temple to worship God. And he has returned with a scroll containing the scriptures. He has gone on a religious pilgrimage. He has gone at great lengths to take a journey among strange people in order to figure out what it is that he believes. He is committed. And his experience in his pilgrimage might not have been a good one. For being a eunuch and being a Gentile, he was probably forbidden entrance to the temple altogether, or at least he was limited to the outer court of the Gentiles. So this man already knows about the religious rules given in Deuteronomy. But curiously, he's not reading Deuteronomy. He's reading Isaiah 53. More to the point, he's reading a verse that says, in his humiliation, justice was denied him. This Ethiopian man himself was just recently denied and humiliated. So he seems to be struggling to understand this religious tradition This tradition that on one hand considers him to be an outsider and keeps him out, and on the other hand praises the contributions of outsiders. Which one is right? 
This man who is new to the tradition needs a guide. Enter the Apostle Philip, a follower of Jesus, one of the leaders of the movement, sent to preach along this road from Jerusalem to Gaza. He sees the foreigner, hears him reading from the prophet Isaiah, and immediately springs into action. Philip gets up, runs to the chariot, and asks, Do you understand what you are reading? I don't know how he knew, but he asks exactly the right question, for this man is trying to figure out where he fits into this text. Philip is invited into the chariot, and a conversation ensues in which Philip starts to teach the Ethiopian about Jesus, a Jew who loved the law and also challenged it one whose blessings came about in the creative way he went about being an outsider. We are led to believe that some part of what Philip shares about Jesus is deeply moving to the Ethiopian. For by the time the chariot passes a body of water, he is ready to be baptized. This is perhaps the most interesting part of the story. In a very short time, something takes this unlikely pair of individuals and moves them from a pop-up Bible study to a very intimate conversation. And we know this from the way the Ethiopian asks a powerful and risky question. He turns to Philip and asks, what is to keep me from being baptized? It seems like a simple question, but when you take into account what we know of this Ethiopian, it is not. He was living in Ethiopia, cut off from the land of Israel. He was a eunuch and thus in violation of the purity code. He was a member of the cabinet of the queen of Ethiopia and therefore he was loyal to the wrong sovereign. He belonged to the wrong nation, he held the wrong job, he possessed the wrong sexuality. And we can assume he might have been fresh off of his own experience of rejection in Jerusalem. He had plenty of reasons to think Philip would not accept him. But something Philip has said in this short conversation they have had leads him to wonder if maybe, just maybe, he will be accepted. And so he is courageous enough to ask. And the spirit moving in Philip's heart Philip, the insider, the one who is trying to sell his religion to other people, people of traditions different than his and his belief. This insider Philip, the spirit moves in his heart and he considers all of the reasons that he might object and he answers the Ethiopian, nothing. 
There's nothing to keep you from being baptized. And down to the water they go. And the Ethiopian departs in joy. The chance encounter on the road changes his life because he learns that he is accepted. Depending on where you're from, when you lived, and what your background is like, this question the Ethiopian asks, what is to keep me from being baptized? This question takes on all kinds of forms. To some of us, it may sound more like, what is keeping me from knowing God more closely? To others, it may sound more like, what is keeping me from being the person I know God has made me to be? It may sound more like, will God accept me just as I am? Or will God forgive me for the things I have done? And just like the Ethiopian, many of us can come up with plenty of reasons to tell ourselves that we will not be accepted Sometimes our distance from God is very similar to that of the Ethiopian. We have some lack of knowledge. We're aware that we don't know the Bible so well, or didn't grow up in church, or we did, but we lapsed in our participation for a while, or didn't pay enough attention. Perhaps we've been here a lot, but mostly we're just going through the motions. We know that God knows the real deal. And we wonder if everyone else can see through us, too. For others, the roadblocks are different. We know who we want to be, we hope we will be accepted, but some obstacle stands in the way. Maybe we feel unequipped to go before God because of addiction or depression or anxiety. Maybe it is guilt about something we've done wrong. Maybe it's fear of not fitting in. Maybe you fear that with all the demands of this life, jobs and families and all of the requests that come from your community and even from your church, in the midst of trying to meet all those expectations, perhaps you fear you'll never have time to know God. Perhaps you wonder if you'll ever be able to slow down enough to be like that Ethiopian, to stop along the journey and open your heart to the stirring of God within you. If any of these stumbling blocks <clears throat> strikes a chord with you, you're in the same kind of place of doubt where we find this Ethiopian. When he reads those words from the prophet Isaiah, they are not just ancient history, they are speaking right to him. There are many reasons to have doubts, but those words from Isaiah tell him that God intends to cross every boundary that keeps us feeling like outsiders. God knows the things that are keeping you at a distance. God understands them. God knows that for you they are not simple or irrelevant. 
But for God, they are nothing. There is nothing that can keep you away from God. Whether or not these personal questions of inclusion and exclusion are meaningful to you, I want to go back to where I started and remind you that there is also a collective dimension to this story. This is a story about the changing culture of church. The church in our time is waiting to be reborn out of the same kind of creativity and love that inspired this apostle, Philip. We have to look at our own set of rules and traditions and ask if they are there for good enough reasons. Are they leading people to greater commitment and growth and relationship with God? Or have they become arbitrary roadblocks that help us to feel like insiders and that make everyone else feel like an outsider? Are we growing in our relationships with God and one another? Or are we mostly about the business of maintaining this institution? Are we taking on the example of Philip so that even those who have every reason to believe they don't belong at church will be surprised when they hear themselves asking, what is to keep me from being baptized? And the answer that comes back is nothing. Nothing.